Well, it looks like we're live for another uh, Change Your State podcast. Um, I'm Brock Malcolm. I'm here with Amy Haberbash Wilson. Amy, do you want to kick off with the introduction? I'll throw it over sure. to you. Yeah, thanks everyone. Thanks for joining us. We want to welcome you to the Healthy Harrison podcast. This is a show designed to help you change your state. I'm Amy Haberbosch Wilson and Vice President of the Healthy Harrison Board of Directors. And today our co-host is Brock Malcolm, who is the President of Healthy Harrison Board of Directors. We're streaming this program live on the Healthy Harrison Facebook page, as well as on the statewide distribution network of our media partner, WestVirginaNews.com. Every week at this time, we chat with individuals who are focused on the mission of Healthy Harrison, fostering measurable improvement to the health and well-being of the citizens of North Central West Virginia. Today, our guest is Rich Sutphin. Welcome, Rich. Thank you. Rich is the executive director of Western Rural Health Association. He is a native to West Virginia and has a lengthy background. Um, so Rich, we're just going to start right in and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me today. Um, I am the executive director for West Virginia Rural Health Association, um, one year into that role. Um, so I have a master's in public health from Marshall, um, and I grew up in uh, rural West Virginia in Boone County. Uh, did my undergraduate degree at West Virginia Wesleyan in biology um, and have been working in public health um, pretty much ever since uh, I graduated from college. So thanks for having me here. Well, thank you. Um, what is West Virginia Rural Health Association? I, I guess I, I know I know I'm sure Brock does, but for those of uh, I think people new to this, explain a little bit. What's the role that you play in West Virginia? Yeah, so West Virginia Rural Health Association is the largest rural health um, entity in the state. Um, so we are the advocacy uh, membership organization. Um, we're affiliated with the National Rural Health Association. Um, so we have a lot of members throughout the state in uh, academic roles. Um, so we have representatives from each of the three medical schools, a lot of the nursing programs um, and other programs throughout the state that are, are training our next generation of the healthcare workforce. Um, so what we do is we advocate and we uh, for rural health policy, um, we try to provide education for rural health providers and stakeholders, um, and we try to lead the efforts um, to create a more sustainable um, healthcare workforce in West Virginia. Um, you know, West Virginia has a lot of trouble recruiting providers um, to our healthcare system. Um, so what we're we're focusing on is a lot of um, creating incentives for students to come to West Virginia and stay in West Virginia um, and creating kind of pipeline programs um, to get students interested in health careers um, so that we can keep and try to retain as, men, as much talent to our state as possible. So how do you, how do you kind of bring people together? <laughs> yeah, um, so we have a lot of um, offerings. Uh, the, the biggest offering we have is our uh, annual conference. We host the West Virginia Rural Health Conference in October every year. Um, so this past year and, and in 2020 were both virtual events, but 2022 we're hoping will be uh, a live event uh, in person at the West Virginia School of Osteopathic Medicine in Lewisburg. Um, so that's our biggest uh, convening of folks. We also have a program where we train rural health providers to treat hepatitis C. Um, so working with uh, Dr. Judith Feinberg, at WVU in the Office of Health Services Research at WVU, we've created a program where we conduct a, a one-day training um, followed up by a half-day training for rural providers um, to be able to treat and diagnose um, chronic hepatitis C. 
Um, so as of Wednesday, I believe we had about 400 consultations in that program, and we've seen 98% uh, of the folks who have gone through that and been treated by a West Virginia HAMP trained provider um, have been cured of chronic hepatitis C. So that, that statistic is meaningful to us because that's better than academic centers, and these are folks who have never treated um, hepatitis C. And so we're really proud of that program. Um, we're able to do that through some sponsorships from uh, some drug companies and then support from the state and uh, some of the local foundations. So it's, it's a great program that we are able to, you know, see the outcomes um, instead of talking about it in kind of a, a, a flighty way or esoteric way. Um, we're able to see an outcome that is uh, important to our state. Um, and then we also offer uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion webinars on a semi-monthly basis or a bi-monthly basis. Um, so we're trying to um, build uh, an understanding that diversity, equity, and inclusion matter uh, in our state and uh, especially in our rural areas. Um, rural areas are disadvantaged um, based on proximity to care, uh, income, education, all the social determinants of health um, negatively impact the health of uh, rural uh, residents, but we also know that there are communities of color, LGBTQI plus individuals in our rural communities that are marginalized even further than our rural communities. So we're trying to lead the effort to um, bring about an understanding of everyone matters. Um, and so it's, it's uh, a growing uh, field for us. Um, it's new to us and uh, the, the kind of the finial for this year's um, uh, task was to, to bring uh, Dr. Kamara Phyllis-Jones to our annual conference and create a diversity, equity, and inclusion track within that conference. And so um, we're going to continue that in the next year and, and continue to grow that. That sounds great. Good uh, good numbers, too. Go ahead, Brock. Well, so uh, Rich obviously knows I'm the current president of the board for the West Virginia Rural Health Association. So we were real excited about getting um, to select him as our new executive director. And I'm really excited he's here. In talking about the, the, the HAMP program, which is the hepatitis uh, program that you referenced, you know, we face so many health disparities in West Virginia already around obesity and diabetes and hypertension and cardiac disease, cancers. A lot of people don't realize that, that we were only behind Kentucky in terms of the number of people who were suffering from hepatitis C. And, those of us who've been working on this believe that we probably have more people than Kentucky. It's just Kentucky had more people diagnosed because they were they were working on it sooner. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about about more about that program, but in particular, just um, you know where we think that's going to go in the future, and and just uh, um, really what how people can go about getting screened and or treated in their local communities. You know, one of the things that you could also reference is how the state of West Virginia really stepped up to, to pay for some of this and allow for um, treating physicians, primary care docs to, to do this. Whereas in the past, you had to go to a specialist, a infectious disease specialist, and, and you also had to have liver damage before they would pay for the treatment. So maybe you could expound on some of those things. Yeah, so our goal is to, um, to get as many folks screened for hepatitis C. Uh, we know that we have a huge injection drug use problem in West Virginia. Um, so if we can get folks to be screened for hepatitis early, um, then they're more likely to have 
better outcomes with the treatment and less likely to have adverse outcomes, you know, cirrhotic liver disease or liver cancer. Um, so Dr. Feinberg and the West Virginia Rural Health Association led the charge to amend the state code. Um, it was written that uh, for, for Medicaid to pay for the treatment, um, for any of the treatments for hepatitis C, uh, the patient had to seek care from a gastroenterologist, an infectious disease specialist, or a hepatologist. Um, so that creates a, a huge barrier um, in West Virginia. So gastroenterologists, a lot of them are focused on doing the procedures, doing colonoscopies and uh, other things that that are um, able to net them more money. Um, you know, we know that healthcare is a business and so people are trying to make money. And so there were very few gastroenterologists who treated um, hepatitis. Um, our infectious disease, the number of physicians we have in West Virginia that practice infectious disease are, it's less than 20, uh, last count we had. And we have one hepatologist in West Virginia and he's a transplant hepatologist. Um, so they realized that there was there needed to be an amendment to that to change the way we practice medicine as it relates to hepatitis C. Um, so they worked with the state, uh, the Bureau for Medicaid Services, to create a plan um, to allow primary care providers, um, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, um, and physicians practicing primary care to work in consultation and in collaboration and under the mentorship of one of those specialty providers. Um, so the way the program is structured is the, the rural health, the primary care provider um, does the training and then conducts a virtual consult through a uh, HIPAA compliant portal um, using a red cap form. It's very simple. Um, they enter all of the information about the patient, uh, make sure that um, you know, they get the genotype and other things that are related to the patient's diagnosis. Um, the, the time of diagnosis, um, and then they are, um, those are all reviewed by an infectious disease faculty at WVU. We have a few faculty who work on that. And then that's sent back to the provider with treatment recommendations. Um, the great thing about that is the provider can then just print off that form that is sent back to them and send it to the Rational Drug Therapy Program in West Virginia Medicaid. So that acts as their prior authorization. Um, so by creating this collaborative partnership between our organization, WVU and Medicaid, we're able to create a streamlined process so that we can increase access to, to care. Um, in a recent conversation with the folks at AbbVie, um, they, they said, we know that your program is working because our internal data shows that the number of diagnoses and, and prescriptions in West Virginia has gone up exponentially compared to 2019 before we started the program. Um, so we're seeing some great outcomes with that. It's, um, it's offered four times a year um, or five times a year, uh, depending on how it comes out. Um, so we have the, the initial eight hour training and then there's a follow-up four hour training. And each month, Dr. Feinberg does an evening webinar to talk about specific cases um, or things that are on the rise. Um, so one of the issues that we have worked on in, over the past year is the, um, the passage of the Senate Bill 334, which was related to harm reduction. And so what we're trying to do is we're also building in um, information about access to PrEP and how to, to provide access to PrEP for, for people who inject drugs. Um, and we're also working to go through uh, and figure out how we maybe can engage primary care providers in rural settings to treat HIV, um, because we know that there's an outbreak in Charleston. We know that there, there is a, uh, a cluster in Huntington, um, but 
We also know that there are probably clusters throughout the state that, that aren't being diagnosed or tracked. Um, so we're, we're trying to help um, decrease the risk of, you know, outbreaks of HIV and hepatitis C in West Virginia um, by providing this, this great education. Um, and then as we go forward, you know, West Virginia, th this model works very well. There are other models that, that kind of use a hub and spoke where the academic center will provide education on a monthly basis in, you know, an hour increments. But what we found with West Virginia HAMP is that by dedicating that entire eight hour day, um, the scholars walk away with a foundational knowledge that they can really run with. And they can, uh, by working with those mentoring physicians that are experts in their field, we're able to provide access to care um, and improve the population health. And, and so we're looking at how can we make this more marketable to health centers and rural health clinics and critical access hospitals and others who are providing primary care services. And, and so hepatitis is one of those quality metrics that a lot of these organizations are looking at. And so by using this program, they're able to meet a lot of those quality metrics and, you know, as, as they go through their accreditation processes can say, we're really taking an interest in the patient's outcomes. And we're really interested in um, increasing access because we have these providers who are doing these services. It's just such an incredible program because people walk away cured. You know, so many of the things that we deal with from a chronic disease perspective, you know, they, you treat those for life and, and both from a quality of life perspective and also from a cost perspective to the patient and to the health system. So many of these chronic diseases is, uh, you know, just end up resulting in millions and millions of dollars, whereas here we're saving huge amounts of money by curing people before they have liver damage or need liver transplants. And so it's, it's really exciting. And I appreciate you leading that charge. What um, you mentioned the changes to the West Virginia Code and working with the legislature and Medicaid. Obviously, one of the, the big foundational pieces of the Health Association is, is to try to um, advocate for healthcare in West Virginia and to change policy. Um, maybe you could talk about those efforts and uh, you know upcoming legislative session, how you can help the the members of the West Virginia Rural Health Association position themselves to to have a voice in Charleston. Yeah, um, thank you for bringing that up. We're, we're working through our policy agenda now and we have some drafts that are going to be going out and the, the final documents will be going out in the next week or so. Um, so as we know, the, the legislative session is going to start on January 12th and, and our interest is to protect the rural health and infrastructure and the health of rural West Virginians. Um, so the, the policy asks that we, we're going to put forth this year are uh, to protect childhood immunizations. Um, we know that West Virginia has some of the strongest, if not the strongest, childhood immunizations laws in, in the United States, and we want to protect that. Um, we know that polio is a vaccine-preventable disease. We know that measles is a vaccine-preventable disease, so we don't want uh, any threats to that, and we don't want to... Um, to take any chances with um, threatening the public health of our children who are attending schools um, or their families. Um, so we know that community immunity is a thing uh, that is scientifically proven. Um, and so we're, what we're advocating for is just protection of those measures that we already have in place and, and to stand against any weakening of those. 
Um, we're working with the West Virginia Immunization Network that is affiliated with the Center for Rural Health Development on that. And so um, there's a lot of collaborative opportunities uh, for the Rural Health Association as it relates to ag advocacy as well. Um, the other issues that we're looking at are protecting the Certificate of Need program. Uh, we know that West Virginia has uh, a lot of healthcare needs, um, but we also want to protect our local communities from out-of-state for-profit entities that, that may be kind of bad actors or not have the community's interests at heart. And we want to protect those nonprofit hospitals and healthcare organizations that have been in these communities for decades or centuries so that we can better um, provide care to these rural communities. Um, so we're working uh, to, to kind of protect the certificate of need process because we know that that works to um, prevent these out, outside entities from coming in. We know that healthcare is not a free market and, and never will be a free market because there's a lack of information parity between a patient and a, a caregiver in a hospital. Um, so the patient's never able to make a truly informed decision as if they were you know, buying a, a, something from Amazon. You can read the reviews, you can, you can look at it uh, and compare. You can't do that with healthcare. Um, so we're, we're hoping to protect that. Um, and then finally, we're interested in creating some uh, solutions and some incentive programs to better recruit and retain a healthcare workforce that works for West Virginia. Um, so we're looking to put forth uh, some proposals to um, provide incentives to state-run publicly funded institutions to uh, incentivize and raise nursing faculty pay. We know that nursing faculty make less than they can clinic if they were working clinically. Um, and we feel that if we can increase the pay, we can recruit more nurses to uh, these programs and increase the number of nursing graduates we have in West Virginia. Um, so if we can grow our own nurses, we won't have to use travel agencies that are, are charging exorbitant rates to our hospitals um, and threatening our health system financially. Um, so we're hoping that we'll be able to gain some traction uh, with that this year. We're also interested in community paramedicine. Um, so using paramedics to make sure that patients who utilize those services end up at the right place. Um, not all ambulance or ER call or 911 calls need to go to the ER. Um, sometimes they need transportation to a Med Express or a, a, an urgent care center, or um, they can be treated at the scene using within the scope of practice of a, of a paramedic. And so we're working to um, create some programs that will help um, with that and create a payment model so that our EMS agencies are better able to implement programs like that. Um, and that's, that's really exciting to see. There's a lot of interest from the EMS agency side and, and from our perspective, as well as the hospitals. We know that our hospitals are overrun, the ERs are overrun. So we're trying to prevent these unnecessary emergency department visits um, and provide a lower value care um, so that, you know, Medicaid's not on the hook for hundreds of or thousands of dollars for these unnecessary emergency visits. Um, and we're also looking at, uh, in coordination with the Hospice Council of West Virginia, uh, working to create a payment model for palliative care. Um, so palliative care is not hospice. Um, so we're looking to help um, those programs to keep folks out of, again, out of the hospital unnecessarily um, while they're undergoing treatments um, for serious and life-threatening illnesses. Um, so that's generally uh, the way our policy agenda will look. Um, 
ways to get involved with that. Uh, we have a policy committee that is open to any member of the West Virginia Rural Health Association. So if you have an interest in policy, feel free to uh, reach out to, to us here at the association and we could get you plugged into that. Also, we're planning a rural health day at the legislature on February 4th from eight to noon. Um, and we'll have a legislative breakfast on uh, that morning uh, at the culture center where we'll be able to meet and interact with our legislators. Um, so during that um, time, we ask that members of our organization and rural health stakeholders in general come out and advocate for the policy goals that we have um, and meet with your representatives so that you can build a, a personal relationship so that, you know, as things progress with the legislature, you can never predict what, what bills are going to go through, um, but you can, we can work together to build those relationships now um, so that we're prepared if there are legislation that there are bills or, or pieces of legislation that are introduced that we're interested in that we can advocate successfully. Oh, found that, actually, I found that really interesting. I know I follow the, the ones that are economic development related, but um, need to add to the list. Real quick, I want to um, let everybody know that the podcast today is brought to you by WVU Medicine, UHC, Western University, The State Journal, WestVirginianews.com, and Interaction Media. Um, I guess to jump right in, what, what are your most pressing needs for rural health in West Virginia? Yeah, so I think um, we need to focus on community health um, in West Virginia because we know that um, for folks who attended the Business Summit uh, with the Chamber of Commerce, Dr. Jerome Adams did a wonderful presentation that was sponsored by the Center for Rural Health Development about community health and how, you know, historically we've looked at we need a drug-free workforce. Um, but we also don't just need a drug-free workforce. That's very important. Don't get me wrong. Uh, we need to make sure that the folks who are performing jobs in West Virginia are drug-free and are safe, um, but we also need a healthy workforce. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we know that, that people who have diabetes are getting, you know, are miss on average five and a half more days than their non-diabetic peers. Um, so we need to make sure that we instill community health and create community health infrastructure. Um, so that we can have a healthy workforce to recruit more businesses. I'm sure, sure you're on that, uh, you know, understand that, Amy, where you work with the economic development. We, we can't have uh, businesses from out of the state come, come to look at us and say, you don't have a, a workforce for us because you, you don't have anyone who can A, pass a drug test or B, be reliable and able to show up and healthy. Um, we also really need to focus on our rural health and and healthcare workforce in general. Um, we know that we have nursing shortages in all of our hospitals. We have a lot of hospitals that have beds closed because they don't have staff to cover them. Um, so we need to make sure that we create an environment where nurses and physicians and uh, advanced practice providers want to locate here. Uh, we need to create you know, better incentives to create and, and recruit and retain uh, behavioral health providers. Um, we're, we're dead last in a lot of these indicators on a nationwide scale, and we need to create something, some types of solutions in West Virginia so that we can, you know, maybe not be 50th in mental health access. Um, so those are the two biggest things that I think with rural health is that we need to take a, a broader approach, look at the upstream things that we can change to, to improve health. Um, and then to create a better rural health workforce and a more robust rural health workforce. Um, it's, it's difficult to recruit from out of state um, because when you're recruiting typically a provider 
Well, while Rich is frozen, I mean, we can obviously, obviously the, the, the purpose of Healthy Harrison by combining the local healthcare um, community with the local business community is to work on exactly what Rich is talking about, which is to try to um, get everybody working together. You know, healthier workforces mean more business, which means more jobs, which means more insurance and more money and better healthcare. And so it's really cyclical, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And you're, um, you're on the board, you said. So I guess we can even ask you that question. The target audience for the conference. Well, they go after so, for that. I mean, who's, is it open to everyone or? Well, Rich is back and uh, okay. Amy and I were talking about the conference. And so we'll just throw it to you. Why don't you talk about who the target audience of the conference is and how people who have an interest in this can. Um, Some of the typical take, content too for the. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll throw a plug in because I am on the board, but I mean, before that I attended every year. Um, it's a, it's a terrific conference. It's a, it, it really, they do a great job of bringing a blend of the top um, thought leaders in the state along with, with national leaders, you know, um, people from DC and, the, and, and, and the, um, from HRSA and then people who are really driving healthcare policy around the country and, and certainly through Appalachia. Um, so Rich, go ahead and uh, talk about who the target audience for the conference. Yeah, so the target audience is uh, anybody who's interested in rural health, whether it's a student who is just getting started, um, a rural health stakeholder, uh, a, a patient in rural health, um, rural health providers, um, policymakers. We try to take a broad approach um, through four different educational tracks. Um, so we have a clinical track, a leadership track, innovation, and then diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, so the content uh, this past year was really strong. Um, we had some focus on behavioral health and substance use disorder. Um, in, any healthcare education meeting in West Virginia that leaves that out is, has really missed the mark. Um, so we tried to focus on that. Um, we focus on compliance issues that our rural um, hospitals and rural health clinics and FQHCs may um, uh, encounter. Um, so like Brock said, even it's appealing to lawyers who work in healthcare. Um, so if we can if we can bring together physicians and lawyers at one meeting, I think it's successful. Um, but we are um, hosting that in October, um, October nineteenth through the twenty first in Lewisburg at the WV uh, School of Osteopathic Medicine. Um, the save the dates and everything. Um, will, then the registration will open in early January. Um, we do seek proposals um, and we have a competitive process by which we select our um, content. Um, so we put out requests for proposals and then and we ask um, our volunteer committee um, of academics and uh, community members to review those proposals and we um, select them based on those reviews. Um, so those RFPs will go out in January, registration will open in late January. Um, so we welcome anyone who has an interest in rural health, and we also have sponsorships and exhibitors there um, to interact with, and uh, really it's a great networking event um, for if you have any interest in rural health or work in rural health. Great. I, I work directly with recruitment retention uh, for the workforce, really for all companies, all business, all industries in Harrison County and the region, but what are some of the... Um, I guess the issues related to healthcare workforce recruitment and retention that you see in West Virginia. Yeah, I think um, so. When we look at, I was talking to someone who runs an FQHC lookalike, and 
Um, one of the things that is, it, we just don't have enough supply in West Virginia, um, especially as specialty providers, when we're looking at psychiatrists, um, trying to recruit a psychiatrist to West Virginia is very difficult unless they have A, a connection to the state or B, we're offering a ton of money. Um, and so, um, you know, creating programs that offer student loan repayment, that's one of the biggest program, or one of the biggest hurdles that a lot of recent graduates have is, is how am I going to pay my student loans? And so looking at um, increasing the number of dollars that we can get coming through the National Health Service Corps, uh, making sure that all of our rural sites, uh, clinical sites are, are certified through that and eligible to, to um, recruit providers and use that as a recruiting tool. Um, again, it comes back to what, what does the rest of the economic landscape look like um, for our rural communities? Um, I think if we can increase the supply of nurses, uh, we'll, be, we'll be in a better, better place. If we can get more students um, into rural rotation sites and clinical clerkships, um, the, the better off we'll be. Well, we need to do a better job too of identifying students at a younger age you know, who may have interest in healthcare and, uh, and, and, you know, not just doctors or nurses, but all of the associated mm -hmm. uh, occupations in healthcare and, and really start trying to, to uh, find a way to plant those seeds in, in kids' minds that they, even if they're not traditionally seen as a candidate to be a physician, that they may, you know, have a fine career in healthcare and, and be able to, to serve people in their community. Yeah, absolutely. I think, so what are some ways people can, I'm sorry, go ahead, Rich. I think, you know, in, in the past, we have really focused on nursing and, and medicine as the two big fields. And so if we could get a focus on, you can become a paramedic um, and, and have a, a great career and feel, you know, a connection to your community and give back to your community in that way. Um, and then that may be a, a stepping stone to a different career in health. And so I think you know, getting getting younger students plugged in through Botech programs and just giving them an understanding of how the healthcare system works is really important to getting to growing our own here in West Virginia. So we put a plug in for the students and the workforce. Um, how does someone get involved with West Virginia Rural Health? Yeah, um, so we offer free student memberships. Um, so if if a student is interested. Um, and in joining our organization, you can go to our website, wvrha.org, and join. Um, we also offer um, individual memberships at $50 a year and then organizational memberships at $250 a year. Um, so we're, we, we try to um, have reasonable dues um, so that, that folks can get plugged into our resources and, and help to improve the state. Um, so uh, if you have any interest in joining our organization or joining any of our committees that, that meet, we have policy, diversity, and inclusion um, that are really outward facing. So if you're interested in that, please uh, just let us know. And, and we're more than happy to include others in that conver those conversations that we're having uh, because we want to build collaboration and we want to build partnerships um, so that we can get to every rural community and, and get to every student. Um, we're also working to uh, build student chapters at our um, at our institutions in West Virginia, starting with some nursing programs um, and, and trying to grow um, that as well so that we can get into those programs and, and explain to students the value um, of rural health and, and how they can get involved. And, and that may be uh, opportunities for students that they don't even think about um, as they go through their training. 
Well, we've covered a lot of good information. I know we usually end it right around one, but I don't want to cut anybody off. We've got a little bit extra time. Doctor, do you have anything else to well, add? What I just wanted to, to throw out there that, you know, really what under Rich's uh, leadership, we're, we're trying to make that website, um, wbrha.org, a, a, a real um, resource for uh, not only people in, in rural health, but with the diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, materials. You know, a lot of businesses are, are struggling to try to, to develop these kinds of programs. And the speakers that have been coming through, I think, you know, they're excellent for not only healthcare, but for really anybody who's, who's trying to open up their workforce to, to involve people who have been traditionally marginalized. And, and from a healthcare perspective, it's so important not only for the recruitment and retention of talent, but also for the patients, right? I mean, one of the things that we're trying to do is make people feel comfortable with going to their local doctor and being who they are and telling you know, their history and talking about what's going on in their lives so that the healthcare provider has enough information to, to really be uh, effective. And, and so often people don't tell not only their medical history, but you know whatever, uh, because they don't feel comfortable. And so we're trying to eliminate stigma, and and really make uh, healthcare a safe place for people to go and 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 get the care that they need. Yeah, great. Well, thank you. We're talking to Executive Director Rich Sethman of the West Virginia Rural Health Association. And um, Rich, thank you for being with us today. A lot of great information. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We want to thank everyone again today for joining us on the Healthy Harrison podcast. It is our goal to change your state of mind and ultimately change the state of healthcare here in West Virginia. We want to, if you want more help right now, you can visit the healthyharrison.org or visit Healthy Harrison Facebook page and give us a like. You'll find lots of support and you can even stream some of the past episodes on our podcast on the Facebook page. Again, we want to thank our sponsors, WVU Medicine, United Hospital Center, Western University, the State Journal, westernunionews.com and interaction media on behalf of brock and i we want to thank you all for joining us today and we'll be back next week and i believe it's going to be gary and john paul so if we don't see you again brock and i want to wish everyone a merry christmas happy holidays rich thank you again for joining us thanks we'll so see you all again next week <laughs>